Hello, and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen, and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Uh, we have three team previews today, but real quick off the top here, Keith, Bob Myers came out this afternoon saying he is stepping down from the Golden State Warriors, and Nick Nurse was uh, agreed upon to be the 76ers next head coach so just want to get your thoughts off the top on either of those two uh, front office and coaching staff hires yeah I think starting with the Bob Myers one anytime you have a uh, new head of basketball operations uh, that's huge news in the NBA right there's there's uh, 30 people who make the the ultimate decisions on what happens with the roster and and Bob Myers has been one of them he's done it uh, arguably the best of anybody over the last decade or so is he's really helped build that team into a, uh, a title uh, winner several times and then contender several other times. So yeah, we'll see. And they've got, you know, tumultuous uh, time here in the franchise uh, history. Draymond Green likely to opt out and become a free agent this summer. They've got to do what they can to rebuild their depth. I think that was clear as they made this playoff run that they just don't have enough guys. Um, so it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this comes together in Golden State with, with those uh, decisions to make and how they're going to uh, build, build build that team out move, moving forward, not just this year, but next year. And what are the super tax implications going to be? Because you, know, you could argue that those were put into place to – you know, basically end the Warriors and, and what they've been as a team. So we'll, we'll definitely see how that all comes together as well. Do you think Bob Myers is making this move because of those changes and he doesn't want to have to deal with that? Or do you think this could be like a Daryl Morey situation where he says he's going to leave and then a week later he we see him on another team? Yeah, I don't think we'll see him anywhere else. There's no other jobs open right now, so that'd be kind of a surprise if if he went somewhere else. I know some people have tried to connect dots saying he's going to the L.A. Clippers, but Lawrence Frank is still there running things. Michael Winger, who's now in charge of the Wizards, was Lawrence Frank's number two uh, in Washington, and I don't think Bob Myers is going to go anywhere or push anybody out of the top spot or, you know, certainly at this point, I don't think he's going to go take a second spot underneath anyone. My guess is he probably wants to take a year off. Uh, That's been all the reporting that's been around this. I think Mark Stein was one of the first ones on that about, you know, he just kind of wants a break and you kind of get it right for, for uh, unlike for the players and the coaches who, to some extent when the season ends can walk away for a little bit, the general manager can't. Really, they, they they continue to work all the way through. And then they know, you know, things go very quiet in the world of the NBA in August and the beginning part of September. But there's still work to be done then. They'll still be you know, hosting free agent workouts and keeping tabs on guys and watching, you know, how players have come in or committed to working out and all the sorts of things that go on with that. So I, I think, you know, we're in a spot now with Bob Myers where, you know, he probably just needs a break and you know, to take a year and reset and then see what opportunities come his way after that. Have you heard or any rumors of who might come in behind him? Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be Mike Dunleavy Jr. who, who will take over the, the bulk of the basketball stuff. It sounds like um, uh, 
Joe Lacob's son, Kirk Lacob, who's operated in various capacities uh, with the Warriors front office. Sounds like he'll be more involved as well. But the rumor had been if Myers moved on that uh, Mike Dunleavy Jr. would take over. And it sounds like that's the direction they're going to head in. Okay, it'll be interesting to see what the Warriors do now with, uh, you know, this second phase in the front office here uh, yep. post Bob Myers. Onto the 76ers with Nick Nurse. In your opinion, is that a good fit with that 76ers roster? I it, It's tough because I think there are parts where that fits just fine. You know, I think, um, you know, the, the, anybody can should be able to coach Joel Embiid and make it work, right? That, that shouldn't be, be all that difficult of a challenge. But I don't know that James Harden is a great fit. Um, I don't know that some of the other guys that are – you know, kind of, they, they, they came in to prop this team up, but are, are great fits. But I assume some of those guys will be gone. Guys like Dwayne Deadman and, um, you know, maybe Daniel House, uh, Shake Milton. Well, we'll see if those guys are just moved on from. But I think this is a sign for Philadelphia of, all right, we're kind of going in a, at least a semi new direction, right? It's where we're still going to have Embiid, but Harden, that's still a very open ended question. And, and we'll see what that looks like. And then I think it's, um, really into a spot where it's going to be all right. Well, you know, this is kind of the, the, the place we're headed here is, you know, with Nick nurse in charge is, you know, even if we needed to make a move away from Joel Embiid down the line, which I don't think they're going to, but if they had to, then you've got a coach who could come in and kind of take, all right, we're going to rebuild around versatile players, guys that can switch and do a whole lot of different things. And then that'll be how they'll build it out going forward. Uh, the MB part does worry me a little bit. Nurse tends to uh, ride his guys very hard and, um, you know, hold, you know, push minutes on them and we're really, you know, force them, them to work. So I am a little bit uh, worried about where that could end up and could go. Um, so that, that part, you know, we're going to have to obviously keep an eye on here moving forward. Okay. Super interesting. Uh, I, there's more head coaching positions still open. So we'll see where some of those uh, rumors land. And, and that leads us into our off season previews here. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks are up first here. And then we're going to get into the Atlanta Hawks and Memphis Grizzlies, but with the Milwaukee Bucks, um, Two things to start with them. One is, is this just going to be a run it back for the most part kind of team? And then I know we've started to hear who is most likely going to be the next head coach. Um, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so they're hiring Adrian Griffin, who is a former Raptors assistant. He's been assistant coach for a number of years now since his NBA playing career ended, including a stint with the Bucks actually several years ago. But so he's going to come in by all accounts. That was a move that was, uh, you know, blessed if not pushed for by Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I think that is um, something to very much keep in mind. Here is uh, Giannis seemed to be very on board. I thought it was also notable that. Apparently, Chris Middleton was was either involved in those discussions or was invited in to be involved in those discussions. The reason that's notable is he's a he's a you know, potential free agent this summer. Very unlikely um, that he won't or let me rephrase and say it in a way that makes a lot more sense. Very likely he will opt out and become a free agent. Uh, this summer. So I think, you know, we're, we're going to see where that goes as far as the run it back piece. 
I think the Bucks would be content to do that within reason. I think, you know, they'd probably love to have Brooke Lopez back. He had a wonderful year for them. Really, really good uh, season. Uh, I think they'd like to have Middleton back on the right number long-term, uh, you know, get, get him locked in and then, you know, kind of see where it goes. But they're a team that's getting very, very expensive very quickly here. And uh, much like uh, what we talked about with the Warriors, they're going to be running into some super tax concerns down the line. If they just re-sign all their key free agents and run it back with all of them, that's going to put them in a spot where they, they, they're probably going to be fairly limited in what else they can do roster wise. Yeah, you're right. Giannis is about 48, 49 million over the next three years on average. Like you said, Middleton, he's going to make 40.3 if he opts in. Drew Holiday has two years left, about 38-ish million dollars, uh, but he has a player option too. So yeah, they're a projected tax team. And depending on the signings that they're at, a uh, potential super tax team, which could really hinder their operations moving forward for this season, uh, if they bring back Brooke Lopez on a contract or re-sign uh, Middleton, uh, if Middleton were to opt out, like you said, you, you think he's going to, do you think he is a player that would take a team friendly deal or is he looking to max out based on, I, I know he's got injury history, but uh, what is your sense on what the monetary market value for Middleton is? Yeah, I don't think he's a max guy, which for him would be 46.9 million. Uh, given his years of service in the league as a, uh, I believe he's got 11 years of service in now. So that, that becomes a little bit of a challenge point there, right? He'll be 32 uh, before the start of next season. So that's something that's also going to factor in fairly heavily here. So I think what happens for Middleton is team friendly is probably too far. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to get him for, you know, less than 30, 35 million. Um, but that's probably not, the end of the world if if that's where this goes now we'll see if one of these cap space teams especially if you know one of them is trying to win and really trying to push things forward uh this coming season you know do do, do one of them swoop in and say you know what chris middleton is perfect for what we need uh this is the guy we can really you know at least build a chunk around um, where we're going to give him 30 plus million dollars. Then that could get a little bit harder on, on Milwaukee to, to sort through and figure out. But I think for the most part, the bucks have to be looking at it and saying, yeah, we can't go all the way to the max. You know, we can't give this guy $47 million. That, that'll be too big of a mess, um, you know, for our books moving forward. But I think it's probably in a situation where, yeah, if we can get him 30 to 35 million, ideally it'd be one of those contracts where you started high, you know, maybe started around 35 and then knock, you know, a couple million off that each season uh, down into a realm, you know, as his play presumably falls off as he ages, um, you know, the contract number will start to match it a little bit more, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think Chris Middleton's got to be looking at this as, you know, it's more about years and uh, overall guaranteed money than it is, you know, salary per year um, in this case. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and and I should have said this off the top. This is a team that we shouldn't really be talking about this team this early. <laughs> exactly. We were expecting to talk about this team later. But with that being said, they have – eight actual players under contract plus a two-way. So nine total on the roster right now. So with that being said, 
what direction does this team need to go if Middleton is back? They have Giannis, they have Holiday, they've got uh, Bobby Portis locked up. So what what do they need on this team to not repeat a early exit next season? Yeah, I think in that mix, you re-sign Brooke Lopez, right? Bring him back. And then from there, it's filling out your depth a little bit better. Joe Ingles, was, he was okay, but he's very clearly near the end of his career. Jay Crowder was just an absolute disaster. Um, you know, did, didn't really contribute anything uh, to them. So you got you got to resort through that. You know, well, what, what are you going to do? I think, you know, the, the approach of guys like Wes Matthews, even on a minimum at this point, that's, that's probably not something I would do. I'd probably move on uh, there and just say, you know, all right, well, we're, we're going to go in a different direction. And, and then, you know, because you're likely to be a super tax team, if you re-sign Milton, re-sign Lopez and put yourself in that spot, you're probably working with very little to, to spend. So, so I think, you know, you, you've got to, you know, nail those minimum signings for that reason alone. Maybe you do re-sign Ingles and Crowder just because if for nothing else, they become, you know, valuable trade, uh, pieces, you know, as far as salary matching goes. So I, I think it's probably going to look fairly similarish to what it looks like now, just with some moves around the edges, just because there's no flexibility here to do anything, you know, all that major. They have not much as far as draft capital. So as I'm looking at the roster, they really only have one first round pick of current rookie scale contract on their books right now. So they've pretty much evaporated from uh, trade standpoint, free agent standpoint. Uh, obviously, they they drafted Giannis, but he's into his super uh, designated veteran extension here. So is there any way for them to recoup some of their draft uh, assets, having given away their, their farm to acquire Drew Holiday to sort of revamp their, their young crop? Yeah, I don't think so. Not in any meaningful way, because that would mean moving on from Holiday or you know Giannis, and that that that's not going to happen. You know, at least not anytime soon, if ever. Uh, so I, I think you know you you just got to kind of ride that out. Now, all that said, they won a title a couple of years ago, so I think I would you know trade the the picks again and in retrospect i would say you know hey we won one right we 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 achieved the goal that everybody else is trying to achieve here so i don't think there'd be any questions at all of you know if we could go back in time and say hey now you're kind of in a tough salary spot i'd still do it again and take take the title and, and figure it out i i would not undo anything there but as far as starting to get get assets back they, there just isn't that because what they don't have is like that guy who's clearly like their number three that that is you know looks jumps out as a major trade piece that you could say all right let's move on from this guy and then, then we'll you know kind of flexibility draft picks whatever we get for him that's what we're going to rebuild around they don't really have that guy on the roster yeah i totally agree with that uh, grayson allen he is extension eligible he has one year 8.9 million for this upcoming season is he a player that this team would extend just to have the uh, that flexibility down the line, even if it's a team friendly 10, 11 million, or do they just let that contract ride it out and uh, deal with it at the end of the season? Yeah. The interesting thing on that is he's not the kind of guy who, if you just let it expire, 
that nine million that doesn't give you much, right? Like that's you're you're still going to be a team that you know again, presuming they re-sign Middleton and re-sign Lopez, you're still going to be you know, right around that uh, you know mix at the top of the the salary range. So I think what happens in that kind of situation with Allen is that becomes a guy where you might be like, wait, why? If you're a more casual fan, you may look at it and be like, why did they extend him for, you know, three years, 30 million? And I'm just, you know, picking a number out of the hat because what that does is 10 million a year for Grayson Allen. That's fine. That's not going to kill you. That That's never going to be a bad contract. But what that does is that's 10 million. You now have in salary matching that you wouldn't add otherwise. And that that's going to be important to, to be a part of things moving forward because, What's going to happen for teams like the Bucks is you're going to be so limited if you you do hit into that super tax on how you can add talent that yeah you're going to want to have a couple guys on you got it's walking a fine line right you're going to be very careful that you don't push it into being a bad contract but as long as you kind of keep it in the middle uh, there where it's like yeah it's not the best contract in the world but it's not going to kill me and it's at least tradable salary then you know maybe what you do is because like you noted they're they're a little out of picks to trade down the line because they still owe picks from the holiday deal but maybe what you do is you do Grayson Allen and like a Marjon Bochamp in a deal and that that becomes your 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 trade package to go get you something right if you need to fill it out a little bit that that's a, a direction I can definitely see a handful of teams going in this is a team that timing this offseason is going to be extremely crucial where if they are going to sign Brooke Lopez, it might behoove them to wait until late July to actually physically sign him so that they can massage their roster just enough to get what they need in there and then sign him using rights or any of the, the other guys that they want to bring back. Um, or even from a trade standpoint so that they – aren't into that super tax threshold. They can operate as a tax team, but not be handcuffed as a super tax team. And then they can sign after the fact. So I'm seeing that this team, they're going to really have to have a timeline of uh, where they want things to land so that they can operate most efficient. Yeah. And that's going to be true of any of the super tax teams, right? Or the teams that are on the borderline, like, we talked about the Clippers, I think, in last episode. If if I remember right, if we didn't, I know it's coming soon, um, and we will talk about it. But I know you and I have talked about it kind of off the air. Yeah, it was last time. Yep. Okay, I, I, it's all running together, Scott. At this time of year, it's yep. all. I got you. Know, you. <laughs> every day is just a day that ends in Y, and we just keep moving. Um, but I think it's it's teams like the Clippers and Warriors. They're so far over that they operate of, you know, we're super tax teams. We just got to figure it out. I think the teams like the Bucks who can dance around that line, I think to your point is you tie, you kind of dance around that. Now, this is also where the Bucks are helped by, you've kind of got this grace period of a year where it is, um, uh, you're in a spot where it's let, let's let it, um, let's get our stuff in order here. And then we'll kind of go from there versus the teams that are like, are, we've really got a ton of work because a lot of these salary matching rules and those sort of things, those aren't going to enter into play until next off season, a year from now, this is kind of the, the, as things hit in the CBA, some of them are immediate. Some of them are not. Some of them there's, there is that year buffer, uh, but that, that they, it's just something they're going to have to work through and figure out 
um, you know, to, to get things in line. It's going to be very, very important for a team like them because they aren't sitting on, you know, 10, 12 guys signed to contracts uh, that they're in a good spot. They've got decisions that they have to make this summer on some major, major rotation players. So if they end up having to pretty much strictly use the mid-level and minimum exceptions, who who is a player that they could target that would fit really well in this roster with that mid-level salary? Yeah, and I'm going to assume that's the $5 million mid-level, right? Because right? yep. that's, that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah, that's where we're going to go. That's not great, right? So you're talking first and second waves of free agency are over, right? And not, now you're into the, all right, you know, who's still out there that thought they were going to get paid and then, then didn't, right? And then, well, what needs do we have? I, I think they need another player in the front court um, just to give them a little bit more balance, I think. You know, Lopez... He he missed, what was it, two seasons ago? He missed considerable time with the back injury. But he's been mostly, you know, there. And he's in the lineup most nights. But you just always worry with an older player. Like, is that going to continue? So I think Bobby Portis is terrific to have, you know, as you're kind of your third big in your rotation with Lopez and Giannis. But I think getting one more guy. So I think somebody like Jalen McDaniels or Trey Lyles, uh, could could make a lot of sense for this team. That's probably the range in which it you know makes sense for for them to to go get a guy like that. I think um, you know if he hits restricted free agency and he's you know priced out, I think New Orleans would probably just match on something as low as five million. But you could maybe get in the mix with a guy like Najee Marshall if Portland was to just say forget it, we're not even doing qualifying offer for Cam Reddish because he may just sign it. That's a guy you could look at. I, I think you want to go slightly younger just because you're loading up on another guy who's kind of in the final years of his career. That's probably not the the, the road I would go um, necessarily. And then if they really want to take, we just need to add more shooting uh, to, to this team. A guy like Seth Curry uh, could, could potentially play, you know, for 5 million. And it's a come down from what he's on now, but I think that's where we're headed just health and age wise for him. So it, it's not the, you know, best options in the world but none of these are you know necessarily bad options and then backup point guard i would say is the other need spot and you're probably just filling that out however you fill it out so whether that's you know do, do you go get a guy like reggie jackson on the minimum do you run it run it back with javon carter and give him a slight bump over what he was already making you know do, do you go get like a raul neto or dennis smith jr if you wanted to go with slightly more uh, you know, upside there potentially at that spot. Though those are all guys you could look at there behind Drew Holiday because they, they they are a little light at that position. All right, a lot of good names there. I mean, to play with Giannis and potentially, you know, have a chance at a championship. I could see some of those veteran guys uh, potentially wanting to go there for that five million or whatever it might be. Uh, anything else we need to know with the Milwaukee Bucks going into this off season? I don't think so. I just, you know, I think this this is uh, an in-between year for them, right? They, they've really got some stuff to do, but I think this is a team that, you know, they, they generally manage things pretty well as far as their, their finances have gone. Their ownership group has been willing to dip into the tax. Uh, so I think that you just kind of keep keep that pressure on. And, you know, your whole goal moving forward is just we, we got to have that winner built around Giannis. That, that's, you know, that, that, that's all that really matters is, right, keep, keep winning enough games that you know, Giannis stays happy and he's ready to, you know, keep it moving with you. That, that's all that you can really ask for at this point. On to the Atlanta Hawks then. Uh, 
Quinn Snyder took over midseason. Does he seem to be the right person to turn Atlanta around, in your opinion? Yeah, I think so. I, I think he's you know somebody who'll be there you know long term and will keep them you know move, moving forward w- with this group. I think you know we're gonna see you know this summer uh, how he felt about certain players on the roster. I think that was the benefit you got of hiring him and then you know really making that playoff uh, push in in the uh, you know playing tournament and losing to the Celtics, but extending that series to six games. You got to see Quinn Snyder really say. All right, you know, these are the guys I think I can win with and kind of lock into and get, get a really nice sense of, you know, all right, dude, these are the guys. And, you know, he'll be able to give that to, you know, the front office, which is, you know, pretty much Landry Fields leading the way now. He'll be able to get with, with him as they've, you know, changed over those two non-player uh, leadership roles there. And they're, they're going to be able to work together in tandem. Uh, you know, with, all right, this is what we want to do. These are the guys we think, you know, we can win with moving forward. And this is how it's going to go. Cause they've got a lot of decisions to make. This team is, I, you know, as we kind of start the off season, and then this is including all, all their partial and non-guaranteed salaries. So they, they can definitely clear a little bit off the books, but they're only 4.6 million away from being a super tax team. Uh, the, the, this this summer and then you know you add a draft pick in there and it just gets even you know slightly more messy now they don't have any key free agents that they're looking to sign they have a league low two free agents so so they're at least in a good spot there like i said they could clear plenty of money out by by getting rid of some of their partial and non-guaranteed players salary wise but you're you're in a spot where you know it's if they're making a major change it's going to be via trade because that's the only avenue left yeah, you, you you totally went where I was going to go is this roster is really full right now. They're currently tax paying, but they have a handful of players that have been rumored to be on the trade block at one point or another over the last year or two. And I'm talking John Collins. I mean, he's <laughs> locked up in you know three years, including a player option for about $26 million average uh, over the, those three years. Is he a player that you could see them finally moving on from, or does he fit with the Quinn Snyder uh, coaching philosophy? Where, where are you on that? Yeah, I mean, I want to say yes, but they haven't done it yet, so I I don't know. Like, I'm kind of <laughs> at the point where it's like, I don't know, are they ever going to trade this guy, right? I, I think, you know, that's one where I, I think we're full on now into, you know, beauty is, is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, territory with, with John Collins. I think, you know, I, I like him a lot as a player. He's a very good player. I think he was criminally misused uh, on this team. I think not, this is not a criticism of DeJounte Murray by any means or Trey Young, really. But I think adding two point guards that really need the ball quite a bit took the ball away from other guys. And I think John Collins never really was in the rhythm we've seen him in as a scorer and a big part of the offense like, like he was in other years. And I think, you know, that probably combined to, you know, lead to a drop off in his defense. And now people are a lot more down on him. But as you mentioned, he's been in trade rumors basically every year for the last couple of years. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. So, you know, who, who knows? But it, well, when I look at it, they have, uh, let, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six players that make between 18 and 40 million. Now, obviously, Trey Young's on the high side of that on the max deal at 40 million, but you've got, uh, you know, if, if we kind of go in reverse order, John Collins, 25 million, Clint Capella, 20.6 million, 
Bogdan Bogdanovich, 18.7 million. DeAndre Hunter, 20.1 million. And then DeJounte Murray, 18.2 million. That's a lot of money tied up in a bunch of guys. And on top of that, this is the final season for Nyeka Okongwu on his rookie scale deal. Huge, huge part of the team. And Sadiq Bey, who they went out and kind of stole for nothing at the trade deadline, is also on the final year of his rookie scale deal. And this has been a team that has largely preferred to lock their own guys up moving forward and get get those players re-signed. So there's got to be moves coming because you just can't. Even if everything went right, what are we thinking? This team's a four or five seed, right? I don't think anybody feels like you know they're going to fully break into the, the contender uh, realm in the East. So that's just an awful lot of money to be committed long-term to a bunch of guys who are, well, we'll see. And that's without even mentioning DeJounte Murray is now moving into being an expiring player. And he doesn't make enough money where even with the changed extension rules, it's not enough to get him re-signed to his next deal. So it's, it's a tough spot uh, for Atlanta as you look at the immediate and the long-term. And again, the only way out of it's probably to start getting, getting busy and creative, making some trades. So outside of John Collins, who, who do you think is, could, or could be, should be on that trade block? I mean, are we talking Clint Capella, Bogdanovich is DeAndre Hunter. He's going into his rookie scale extension. So when, when that is available to be traded, is he one that you could potentially see being moved on? Who's going to be that player that has to be the, the scapegoat here? Yeah, as you kind of look at it, there, there's a couple different log jams right on this roster. First is in your front court. You've got Capella Collins and Okongwu, who are all, you know, four or five put players there. Uh, not the end of the world, right, if all three of them are on the roster, but if Okongwu, if we think, you know, all right, he's probably going to extend this summer, probably for something in the 17 to $18 million starting salary range. I think you're probably a touch below what DeAndre Hunter got. If that, right. And if, you know, in, in that, if he feels like now that's not enough, I am a $20 million a year player, then he may bet on himself and just kind of roll forward uh, with that. But I think, you know, that, that becomes a little bit of a tricky one, right? Because now all of a sudden we've locked up, you know, well over, you know, 50 approaching $60 million in three front court players. Your other log jam starts to become on the wing. Like you mentioned, DeAndre Hunter just starting his rookie scale deal. You've got Sadiq Bey. You've got Bogdan Bogdanovich. You've got Adrian, uh, Adrian Griffin Jr., but A.J. Griffin that, that you signed um, in uh, or drafted rather last year. You've got Jalen Johnson, who was drafted two years ago and as a player that was really starting to come on towards the end of the season. That's a lot of guys in that that uh, you know spot there. So those would be the two spots I would look at is, you know, can you get something for Clint Capella, move into a Kongwu for a year as a cheaper option, and then we'll see you know, where he's at on his next uh, contract. And then can you break up that wing logjam somehow? It's not going to be Bogdanovich because they just signed him to an extension. So he's probably going to be around, but could it be DeAndre Hunter? Could you reflip Sadiq Bay uh, before you have to do, do an extension with him? And that puts that on the next team to kind of do that. What about Jalen Johnson? You know, do, do you start to package stuff together in a trade where it's, yeah, all right, we're going to put Jalen Johnson and AJ Griffin and, you know, somebody else together in a trade. And that's how we're going to break up the log jam while adding somebody at another position. It's just, it's just a little bit of a weird uh, you know, overly stuffed roster where your big problem is going to be 
there's not enough minutes for the kids to develop, but the young, they were, but rather the older players are not in the spot where they're very easily pushed out either. Cause it's not like they're, you know, a bunch of older players are in year, you know, 12 of their career where it's like, all right, we're moving in a slightly different direction and away from you. These guys are, you know, all really still in their prime years. So it's just a very tough spot to be in for the Hawks. Yeah, it really is. As you're talking, and I'm I'm shaking my head here. Yes, this is a it's a very interesting team for the front office to have to shuffle around, move. Uh, you've got, like you said, you've got young kids, but you've got middle veterans, upper veterans that they're all over the place. But I I can't say I'm in love with this roster just because. Uh, like you said, they're more of a four or five seed. And until they prove us otherwise, they're always going to be in that four or five, maybe six seed. Uh, they're not, they're not there uh, to put them over the top. And on top of it, they, they send a lot of their draft uh, assets out to get Murray. And uh, so it's not like they can easily attach something to send somebody off because then, yeah, uh, that that that's probably not the right move for them either. So exactly, yeah, and that that could be. I know we talked about this with the box of, you know, is there a move where you make a trade designed around recouping some of your draft assets? The Hawks could do that, right? Where it's you're probably not getting prime mm-hmm. picks back. I mean, unless we start getting into Trey Young trades and that, and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but you know, you're probably not getting prime draft picks back. But what you could do is, all right, you know, hey, what what about you know, this player is pretty good. You know, well, let's just use DeAndre Hunter as an example. You know, could we trade him somewhere else? And what we're getting back is a bunch of top, you know, or let's just call them lottery protected picks, right? Where, yeah, if I'm a team and I gave up, uh, you know, the 15th pick in the draft for DeAndre Hunter, I'm probably feeling okay about that. I, you know, especially if I needed a, you know, a combo forward. Uh, in my group, I, I feel okay with that. So that's a spot. I want to flip it for a second though, because you always ask me the questions. So I want to ask you one. Sure. When you look at this Hawks roster, not not as a whole, but if you just look player by player, do you find yourself saying, I like that guy. I like that guy. And even factoring in their contract, are you kind of in a spot where you're like, yeah, that's not bad. I'm, I'm okay with that. Oh, 100%. Like if I, if I'm a team looking for a John Collins, I'm going to go out and get him because he is, he is a guy that could be a solid three, four, as far as your roster depth and could be that guy that gets you that next level deep into the playoffs. Uh, Clint Capella has been a solid player as long as I can remember. And he sort of was part of that, what Houston trade to, Atlanta just to get him mm-hmm. out of, out the door. So he's a solid player as well. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, I, I, I've liked him uh, as long as I can remember as well. <laughs> he just seems like he seems like that odd fit on this roster with everything else going on. And he was sort of, is he going to get the extension or not? And then he did get the extension. He's just sort of there on that roster because like you said, there's, there's just so much on there that, not everyone can have the ball. And when you have two <laughs> guard heavy uh, ball players, it's, it's never in their hands to raise their level in other teams' yeah. eyes. So uh, other teams really have to watch when those players have the ball in their hands. How efficient are they? 
Is it someone that we can have on our roster that it's going to take our roster to the next level? And it, it, it is, it's head scratching. They have, like we said, 15 on their roster outside, including all those non-guaranteeds that are in there. So they could easily, uh, you know, cut some salary with that. But I totally agree. There are one or two or three players here that could easily fit into another team and be a super solid player on that team and would take them to another level. Yeah, it, and the reason why I asked it and framed it that way is I find them to be, we just took all these guys and just kind of put them all on a list with their name and their contract without any of the sense of this is a team. I think almost all of them, I don't know that there's anybody that anybody would be like, eh, I don't know about that one, right? Maybe DeAndre Hunter, right? That's probably the only one where it seems like that could be a slight overpay. I think everybody else, we would all be like, yeah, I kind of like that guy. And it just leaves me with, yeah, this team is, you know, we always talk about teams like, like the Miami Heat, right? Going to the NBA finals. Um, and we always say, you know, teams that are, you know, they're more than the sum of their parts, right? And I think the Heat are a perfect example of that uh, this season. They've just become more the sum, more than the sum of their parts. Well, like the Hawks are the perfect kind of antithesis to that of, you know, yeah, they're just a lot less than the sum of their parts. I like all yep. their parts, but boy, do I dislike them all together. Yep. Totally agree on that. Totally agree. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what direction this team needs to go. I mean, at what point – I mean, maybe this next season is uh, the – they just have to ride it and see where Quinn Snyder can actually take this roster. Can he develop the players in a different way? Can he make the uh, roster starting construction, you know, shifting one player here or there, matchups, chemistry. Yeah. How can he really, with a full season – take this roster to another level. And if not, then you need to uh, reevaluate yourself and say, all right, is DeJounte Murray the guy that we want to move forward with and we re-sign him as a free agent? And then if so, is Trey Young the, the guy that we also want? And if not, one of them has to go. Uh, it, it's going to be fascinating, but this, I, I think you have to give Quinn Snyder at least a full season uh, to really do what he's going to do in, in including free agency where, like you said, they can make a trade, uh, they can do whatever they need to, but at least he has that offseason to massage that roster in the way he wants to move forward with it. I, I think we're going to find out very quickly. This is kind of my my closing thought on these guys, if, uh, if you will, is – yep. If it's if they make a trade at the draft or they make a trade right away at you know as free agency opens, I think um, it'll be we will know that Landry Fields uh, and or Quinn Snyder were out on that player right and they, they were just well, we're done we're moving on from from that player and that's going to be you know where it is so I think it's uh, you know in a, in a position here um, where it's um, you know, it's you. We will know very quickly that they just aren't fans, um, because because that's that's why you would move so fast on a player like that. So that's going to be what's really really interesting uh, for me as the off season opens for these guys. All right, interesting team. We'll see what happens moving forward with them. 
Memphis Grizzlies, what was once a team thought headed in a fabulous direction, has way more questions to be answered now with the whole John Morant situation. His extension kicks in, uh, which is based off of 25% of the cap. So if the cap goes up, he's going to go up a little bit there. Right now it's at $33.5 million. Um, but the large question is, are we going to see John ja Morant play in 2023? And if so, how much based on his off-the-court situation? Uh, so I want to start there. What, what are your thoughts with John ja Morant's situation moving forward? Or what are you hearing or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to see him play. He's not going to get suspended for the entire year. There's no, you know, I, I, let me caveat that with barring, you know, some other nonsense that comes up here, uh, you know, before the season starts. So I think, but I do think, I mean, he got an eight game suspension last time with basically six games credit for time served, right? So he only ended up having to miss uh, the, the, the one game with that. So I think what we're kind of looking at in this situation with John Morant is, Probably 20 games it is just that's roughly what I feel like, you know, it's likely going to be. Um, and most of that comes out of a couple of things. One, the what was perceived as fairly light penalty the first time around. And then the second part is, you know, Adam Silver was clearly not happy. Right. When, when he was asked about it after the second video came out, he was like, we just talked about this we just sat down we just went through you know all of this stuff and why it's no good and he did adam silver you know basically left it with you know and he told me he was going to do better and he was going to change and and be be different and here we are right so i think i think that's a big part of it right i think now what happens is instead of going in with all right here's our set amount of needs um now you have to change your priorities, right? And you have to look at your roster building almost completely different because what happens now is Tyus Jones slides over and starts. You're fine, right? He's one of the better uh, backup spots starting point guards in the entire league. And because Jaws injury history is such because of his style of play and his sight build, you have to have, or slight build, I should say, you have to have a very good backup point guard. And they do. They, for my money, have the best one in the league. But now you need another one, right? You can't just put all of that on Tyus Jones because we saw what that looked like uh, when it was all on him previous. So um, so now you could add somebody else into the mix there. And then that is instead of going out and getting that fourth big that you might have needed because Brandon Clark is probably going to miss you know half or more of the season recovering from the torn Achilles. Rather than going and getting that player, now it's, are we going to invest more money in the point guard spot? knowing it may only be for a quarter of a season and then job will return. But you know, then does he get hurt? Does something else happen? It's just a much messier situation than it needed to be for Memphis because the conversation should have been, all right, how do we kind of make our all in move here? We're going to package together some of our kids along with some of our draft picks, go and upgrade the Dylan Brooks spot. Then we'll use our MLE to go fill in, you know, the front court, or fill in whatever needs come after a trade like that, and off we go. Here's what our team is. Now you're in a spot where it is, all right, well, now we need to do all those things, plus we got to find another point guard to help Tyus Jones carry the load while John Morant is out. That's not where you wanted to be as the Grizzlies front office. So outside of having that, I guess, third backup, second backup point guard, whatever you want to call it, 
what other needs does this roster need to focus on? Do they need, uh, they have Jackson Jr. is a big, they have Steven Adams who had some injury stuff at the end of the season. He's a big, do they need another big? Do they need shooters? Uh, when I look at their ro- their actual full roster here, I mean, their only legit free agent is Dylan Brooks, which we could get mm-hmm. to in a moment. But where do they need to go outside of filling in behind Ja Morant, not knowing what his situation is going to be? Yeah, I, I think you got to get one more big in the mix. And I say that knowing uh, Santi Aldama took major steps forward this year and became a pretty solid uh, backup player, but that still leaves you kind of with three guys at, at that spot because you've got Adams and Jackson Ernest uh, start. You got the Boston accent slipped out there. Um, you've got Adams and Jackson start, and then you get Santi Aldama and behind them. And then it, that that other spot obviously would be Brandon Clark, but he's going to be out for a while. If not, if not the whole season, probably you know, well over half of it. Uh, by the time we see him get back on the court. So now you're looking at all right, Xavier Tillman, if you pick up his team option or just resign him, he's a nice player, but you know, fairly limited in what he can do. Uh, Kenny, Kenneth Lofton Jr. You know, again, decent player, you know, some upside there, but you know, that's not the guy you want to roll in into the season with. So that's where I think that's, you know, one need. And then, I think upgrading that Dylan Brooks spot, they've made it pretty clear. Dylan Brooks isn't coming back. So they are uh, uh, ready to be done uh, with him. So I think now you're in a spot where, all right, how do we upgrade it? Cause there, there's no player who's immediately step in and take his place. They think they would have loved for that to have been Zaire Williams, but he's coming off mostly a lost season uh, as a sophomore in the NBA. David Roddy's not really ready. Jacob Revy is not really ready. Uh, Conchar and Kennard are nice players, but neither one of them is a starting level guy, um, you know, for, you know, what this team needs. So that becomes, all right, let's go. Now they committed, Zach Kleiman said, their general manager said coming out of there at the exit interviews, like, we're going to be aggressive. We know this is the year because I think what he also knows is, all right, we have some clearance here, right? We are sitting roughly $23 million under the tax line. So we can make these moves now. And if we do, and they've got all their own picks, they've got an extra pick coming from the Warriors uh, down the line. We start putting stuff together. We can go get, you know, maybe OG Ananobi, who they were reportedly in the mix on uh, in the offseason. You know, go get a guy like that because this is probably our last big window because, as you mentioned, Morant's on his max deal now. You've got Jackson uh, at $25 million next season. Or when I say next season, too, I'm talking 24-25, not this upcoming season. you got Brandon Clark. And then you're going to have Desmond Bain on the first year of his extension, uh, which is probably going to be in the $30 million range. So all of a sudden it's like, all right, now our flexibility has gone. Now we're going to be that team that's pushing up against the, the tax line and maybe even up against the super tax line. If, you know, if we have to, you know, uh, pay Bain more than we thought or have to make other moves. So this is the season to kind of let's, let's plug our holes. And, you know, if the all in move is there to make, let's go make it and get it done. Once you put on your front office hat here, if you're the one having to deal with Dylan Brooks, do you immediately renounce his cap hold or do you wait and hold on to it and see if he does go to a team that you can do the sign and trade with them to bring something back, even though we know your roster is already massively full? How How do you handle that situation? 
yeah, you don't renounce them. You, there's nothing to be gained there, right? That, that that it's not they're they're already over the cap, so there's no reason to renounce him. Um, so what I think you do there is, you know, and I know some people are like, what? They said they were completely done with them. Yeah, well, they're completely done with them. And he's probably completely done with the Grizzlies, too, until it is like, hey, this team wants to give you $15 million a year. And the only way for you to get it is through a sign and trade. And we're going to get something back. All of a sudden, those hard feelings go away very quickly. Right. It becomes, all right, let's let's make this happen. So I think what you do is wait and see. And and it went way too far with the Dylan Brooks stuff where people are like, this guy's awful. You know, he's not going to be in the NBA next year. He was an all defense guy. Of course, he's going to be in the league next year. You know, I get it. I understand why people were frustrated with him and, and he likes to run his mouth quite a bit, but I also think there's a position where as we look at Dylan Brooks, it's like, all right, let's separate that from, he's a really, really, really good defender. One of the best perimeter defenders in the entire NBA, but he's also a pretty, um, you know, solid scoring option at times. He's not, you never want him to be the guy, right? Where you're just getting it to him and saying, Hey, run the whole show. Um, that gets, you know, super messy there. But if it's like, yo, know, that random Tuesday in February, when you know, you're, you're playing on the road in Charlotte and it's like, now oh, we're going to rest a couple guys. You can throw it to Dylan Brooks for 25 shots that night. And it might go. Okay. You know, in a playoff series, yeah, you need him to be your your fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh best offensive option. But in the regular season, if you know he's a little bit more than that, that's fine. So I think definitely they're they're gonna they're gonna work for sure with all right, let's see if we you know what we gotta do to maybe try to move this guy in a trade and let's you know see see in a sign in trade rather, recoup some value. If nothing else, recoup some of the salary slot and move forward from there. Or is he part of a bigger trade where it's like, hey, we're going all in to get this player, and Dylan Brooks is going to end up turning into part of the salary match on that. Yeah, he he is a player that he's not afraid to get quote unquote dirty in and <laughs> and he for back of a, a lack of a better comp, Draymond Green, who's not afraid to just, you know, get in there and 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 push his way around. Dylan Brooks is kind of the same kind of player. And there's a team that could use that where maybe they're a little quote unquote soft and need that kind of bruiser to go in and do some of the dirty work in, in some crunch time. So there's, there's definitely a team that's going to take a flyer on him, even if it is for, you know, a one or a two year deal just to have them come in see how it works out. And if not, then they can go by the wayside. But, um, I agree. He'll find a landing spot. It's just a matter of which team is going to want to want to deal with that or can handle that. Um, and what coach can handle that for sure. Not only just the players on the team. Um, this team has draft picks too. I mean, they have uh, their own for the foreseeable future. Plus they have a golden state pick five through 30. And if not, it goes to 25, two through 30. Yep. So they, they do have pick assets that they could use to uh, acquire, uh, you know, another number two or a number three, if they really wanted to push it all in. Um, but they've also done really well with their, their draft picks. So they're in a really fun, interesting predicament of themselves because they've done really well developing their own and they have those picks, but then they could push in a little bit. 
So I, I'm really interested to see what this front office does outside of the, again, whole John Morant situation. But I'm really interested to see what direction they go because the, they could be deep into the playoffs if they were to acquire that really solid number two or another number three mm-hmm. player. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, what we have to remember with this Grizzlies team is they were really, really good in the regular season and everything just kind of went sideways on them going to the playoffs. And then they get a really tough matchup in the playoffs with a Lakers team that, you know, let's face it was not your normal seventh seed. Uh, so, you know, so it ended very early for them, but I think with Memphis, you know, it's, they, they, they've been very reluctant to make that kind of all in trade because they're right up there with the teams that draft and develop the best in the entire league. Outside of Tyus Jones and Steven Adams, who are both, you know, acquired through through other means. And now I guess Luke Kennard too. But everybody else on that roster was drafted by this team or signed by this team and developed by these guys. They do a wonderful job with getting these guys built up. So I think what happens uh, in this spot is these guys get into a position where it is, all right, let's, you know, let's, let's get it all put together with our guys. And that sounds great until all of a sudden it is, man, now we get to pay everybody. Right. And then it's, mm-hmm. we got to pay everybody. We haven't, you know, we're not at that warriors level where it's like, we're competing for the finals every single year. And, you know, we're, we're winning some titles and we're winning at a super high rate. Then it becomes very easy to say, all right, pay everybody we've drafted. If you're not at that level, then it becomes a little bit harder. So that's why I think this year, because they have all their picks, they've got some interesting young players, none of which are going to be someone anyone is going to say, that's the guy, go get him. Because the closest thing on the roster would be someone like Morant or Bain or Jackson, and they're not obviously going to trade any of those guys. So what this becomes is, let's look at it slightly differently in a a sense of, all right, we've got to go you know, in, in a spot where it is, all right, let's move on from a handful of these these guys who we like, like Zaire Williams and uh, Jake LaRavia and David Roddy, who who we like as players. But if they can be part of a package with some picks and maybe, you know, find a salary to put into a deal and go get that one guy who's really going to lift us and fit, you have to consider making that move now for Memphis. It's just where, you, where you're at kind of in your career arc or I, I guess team building arc. Yeah, it'll be super interesting to see where this team goes. Is there anything else we need to know? I don't think so. I, I think we kind of basically know, okay. um, you know, where where things are at with, with this, and I think it's, um, you know, a spot there. I, I think it's, um, you know, it, we're we're in a pretty good place where it is, you know, the, um, you know, the, the Grizzlies are, you know, they're good. You don't want to overreact, but you know, let's let's you know get the right guys kind of in there, and let's kind of move moving forward from there. All right, we posted the Brooklyn Nets uh, off-season preview, uh, what, yesterday, this morning, whatever it was. So like you said, it's all blurring sure. together at yep. this point. <laughs> One of those days. <laughs> uh, so that's up. What, what do we have next? I think coming next on the site. So we're into the playoff teams now, which, which is, you know, we're, we're, we're over halfway there. Um, next coming for written will be Minnesota, the Clippers, 
uh, Cleveland, the teams we kind of talked about in the last uh, go around, and then, then we'll then right into the teams uh, we just spent time with here. So we're we're moving on. We'll we'll get uh you know the rest of the teams are eliminated in the first round. We're down only two teams left. You know Denver and Miami in the finals, and we'll you know build build out those off season previews as we get there. But yeah, we're 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 chugging right along with, with this whole group. All right. Thanks, Keith. Uh, if you want to follow him and get more NBA information, he's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. Uh, for Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next podcast.